reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother, sir. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And all the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields, for my sake and the sake of good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers, and sisters, mothers, and children, and fields, with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last will be first. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for the precious gift of your word. Lead us by your spirit. Guide our hearts and minds. Direct us in your truth. We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, what is something you've realized in these pandemic times especially was precious to you? Maybe it's something you haven't been able to enjoy, like travel or going to a large concert or seeing a sporting event packed with fans or gathering in a sanctuary like this one alongside others to give praise to God. Maybe it's something that has been available to you these past 12 months and you realized how precious it was, family or neighbors or friends or nature getting to glimpse the glory of God right outside your door or breath in your lungs. What's something you have found to be precious in these pandemic times? If you would, I'd invite you to write that in the comments now.
These last 12 months have led many of us to find a new perspective on what is precious, for we have all, every one of us, found things we cannot enjoy or do this past year, and it's made us reevaluate what is especially valuable. Even if you had a billion dollars, here are some things that you could not have done this past year. A billion dollars couldn't buy the chance to give a friend or family member not living with you a hug, not without putting them and you at risk of spreading COVID-19. A billion dollars, it couldn't even buy you a safe hug this past year. A billion dollars could not buy you a wedding or funeral venue that would be packed with people to celebrate or marriage or honor a departed friend or loved one. If somebody had called me up in these pandemic days and said, Pastor Matt, I will give your church a billion dollars if you will schedule a wedding or funeral in the Knox Sanctuary and allow us to pack it with people. I would have to say, I'm sorry, safety regulations and concern for neighbors, they prohibit us from allowing that. If you called my brother, who's the director of emergency medicine at San Francisco General Hospital, and asked him this past year, could we pack a dozen or more people into a hospital room just so they can say farewell to a departing friend or family member, and we'll pay you a billion dollars if you can do that. Chris would have to reply that, I'm sorry, our hospitals could certainly use the financial support, but safety regulations prohibit us from allowing that. It's amazing what a billion dollars could not buy you these past 12 months. And so in this time, we are missing many things that we might have taken for granted before. It's a great time to ask, what is wealth? What are riches? What marks true riches? Is it a big bank account? That couldn't even buy you a safe hug this past year. Are riches measured by the number of cars in your garage or are riches a life giving praise to God in a sanctuary or sitting at a loved one's hospital bedside? Is wealth simply breath in your lungs? What is wealth? That's a question that arises in pandemic days especially. And today's passage pushes this question to the forefront, what is wealth? For in today's passage, we see two answers to that question, and the answers clash. In one perspective, one reality, wealth is measured by your bank account. In another, wealth is being wrapped up in the gospel of Christ. In one reality, riches are the number of your possessions. In another reality, the kingdom of God Riches are the relationships you enjoy with God, with others in Christian community, and with your neighbor, especially that neighbor who is poor. These two realities clash in today's passage. A man approaches Jesus, and we might well wonder, is this man rich or is he poor? The story does not tell us until right at the end. Initially, the story practically begs the question, is the man rich or poor? And as the story goes on, we start to wonder, what does it mean to be rich or to be poor? We read that the man runs to Jesus and kneels down before him. Maybe we think he does this out of desperation and poverty. 
Or maybe he does so out of a place of wealth and entitlement we don't know. He asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe he asks that question out of a desperate space where he knows nothing of financial inheritance or inheritance when it comes to material goods and he is eager for any inheritance, perhaps a heavenly inheritance if he can have it. Or perhaps it is spoken, this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life from a place of entitlement, from a place where the man already knows a great deal about inheritance when it comes to finances, but he is yearning for yet more inheritance, heavenly inheritance. The man's question alone and his kneeling at Jesus' feet, they don't reveal whether the man is rich or poor. Jesus's response doesn't tell us either. Jesus names for the man six of the Ten Commandments, and he hones in on those commandments that relate to one's relationship with one's neighbor. Maybe Jesus is reminding the man, whether he be poor or rich, that the commandments provide a great portrait of faithfulness. But Jesus makes one change in listing the six commandments he does. Instead of quoting the commandment, thou shalt not covet, Jesus says, thou shalt not defraud. Maybe that is a critique of the man's wealth, if he be wealthy. In Jesus' time and ours, great material wealth can be linked to the impoverishment of others. In 2019, the Washington Post did an extensive financial study of Walmart and the Walton family. And they found the Walton family, majority owners of Walmart, earn more in a minute than the average Walmart worker earns in a whole year. And that enormous income and corporate profits earned by the Walton family is, of course, tied to lower wages for Walmart workers, linking the wealth of some with the impoverishment of others. Biblical sociologists Bruce Molina and Richard Rohrbach argue that in Jesus' time, material wealth was often seen as a limited good. So if some had a lot, it meant others were impoverished as a direct result. Maybe Jesus is challenging this man with that commandment, thou shalt not defraud, asking him if his material wealth was not tied in fact to the defrauding of others, and if it was, was it wealth at all? But we can't be sure. If that is Jesus' intention in citing the commandments and in changing the command, thou shalt not covet to thou shalt not defraud, for we're still not told for sure by this point in the story if the man was especially affluent or not. The man replies to Jesus' question, or the citation of the commandments, rather, by saying, all of these I have kept since my youth. Certainly the man has a high regard for his own faithfulness, but is he wealthy in terms of material goods or poor? We still don't know. We are told this, however. Jesus looks at the man and loves him. He looks at the man and loves him. What a poignant moment in Mark's gospel. Of the four different words for love in Greek, the word that shows up here is agape. And agape is that Greek word for love so often used when God's love is spoken of in the scriptures. 
the love that Jesus has for this man. We get a glimpse in that of the very love God has for the world, that great love that in John's gospel is described as this, a love so great God sent God's only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but know eternal life. If wealth is receiving the grace and love of God as we know it in Christ, then when Jesus looks at this man in love, this man kneeling before him, he is rich, isn't he? He has received the precious love of God in Christ. And Jesus offers the man even more. He notes, first of all, the man's poverty. He says, as the man kneels before him, one thing you lack. One thing you lack, that word lack is often used to describe the needy, like orphans and widows. But in the face of this lack, Jesus offers the man wealth. Not only does Jesus look at the man and love him, which alone represents great riches, Jesus says, come and enjoy the riches of following me. Come and join a community where we share our goods with others as they have need, where we serve one another, where we serve the poor in love. Come and enjoy the wealth of family with God as our divine parent. And we have brothers and sisters in one grand family of faith. You want riches untold, Jesus asked the man. Come know the wealth of, of letting go, of relinquishment of stepping out in faith, of leaning not on your possessions, but leaning instead on the grace and love of God. Come know the rich life of generous giving and community. The man may have been lacking in Jesus' eyes when he knelt before him, but Jesus offers him such wealth. And the man turns him down. The man says no. Why? Well, here is the big reveal. The very last thing we learn about this man as he leaves the scene is this, the man went away grieving for he had many possessions. He had many possessions. So that's it. What we just saw, we realized, was a clash of realities. A man who it turns out to have been rich in possessions was confronted with the riches of God's kingdom. And rather than embrace the reality Jesus proclaimed, the man retreated to what he had known before, the fool's gold of a storehouse of stuff. Yes, the life of discipleship can bring suffering, even persecution. Jesus makes that clear. But what riches it holds, family, with God and other believers, the love of God poured out for us in Christ, a life wrapped up in the love and justice and healing work of God in the world, a life filled with generosity and of treasure in heaven. Jesus offered the man all of that, and the man walked away. The man won the lottery, and he left the prize sitting at the table. After the man leaves, the question lingers, was the man rich or was he poor? Rich in possessions? Yes. But was he rich in the kingdom of God? No. In that way, the man was grievously poor. And so the passage poses a question for you and me today, and it's a simple question. Really, it was the very question Peter asked in his own way after the rich man left. Wait, 
Jesus, Peter asks, am I rich or am I poor? We, as your followers, have left possessions and livelihood and family and so much behind to follow you. Peter says, does that make us poor? No. Jesus says, you are rich. And the passage leaves us today with that same question, am I rich or am I poor? Are we rich or are we poor? It depends, of course, on what you mean by rich. On the year of his retirement, the legendary preacher, Reverend Dr. Gardner Taylor, spoke to a gathering at Princeton Theological Seminary, and he talked about the riches he held as he prepared to retire after 42 years of Christian ministry. Gardner Taylor is considered by many one of the finest preachers in the English language of the last half century, he has been called the Dean of American Preaching. After facing the nearly impossible odds growing up in the South during Jim Crow, Taylor served for 42 years as the senior pastor at the Concord Baptist Church of Christ in Brooklyn, New York. For years, it was the second largest Baptist congregation in the United States. Taylor was a friend and mentor of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And by the time of Taylor's retirement, he was asked to speak and preach all over the nation. Taylor concluded that sermon at Princeton by talking about wealth. He first told the story of George Beverly Shea. Taylor spoke of how Shea grew up in a little town across from the Hudson River in New York City. When Shea was old enough, he got a job working down at Wall Street. He enjoyed the energy of city life, and he was an excellent banker and financier who excelled at his financial work. His family's normal custom was to gather around the piano after supper to sing some of the well-known hymns of the faith. But Shea had gotten so entranced by the allure of Wall Street that he started showing up later and later for dinner. His mom noticed something was changing in him internally. So one day she left him a note and it read, come home early from work tomorrow. Not wanting to disobey a direct order from his mother, Shay came home early the next day. And that night his mom had Shay play a piece on the piano while the other family members were arriving for dinner. The lyrics to that song went like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. Something shifted for Shea that day, according to his own testimony. He would eventually set aside the allure of Wall Street wealth and go on to become a song leader for Billy Graham evangelism events. Shea would spend his life leading others in praise of the preciousness, not of dollars or possessions, but of the Savior he called Lord. After telling that story to this Princeton gathering, Gardner Taylor told the seminarians that what was true for George Beverly Shea was also true for him. Taylor said, I've known people of great wealth, but I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I've heard great auditoriums echo with acclaim from one end of the earth to the other, you name it, New York, Cleveland, Chicago, London, Tokyo, Miami, but I'd rather have Jesus than people's applause. 
I have known great people, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Once preaching an old first church here in Princeton about 25 years ago, I spent a morning with Albert Einstein, but I'd rather hear the gospel of Jesus Christ than all of the wisdom of scientific genius, no matter how famous or obscure the preacher, no matter whether highly educated or prayerfully self-taught, no matter whether male or female, I'd rather hear from him or her the riches of pure and simple gospel than all the astounding insights of science. I'd rather have Jesus, Taylor proclaimed. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords. I'd rather have Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.